podcast this week, we take a journey, man, with journeyman director Paddy Considine. Plus, there's loads of mansplaining. Leslie mansplaining, that is, as the star of Blockers also pops by to talk about her film. All that plus usual movie news and nonsense on the movie podcast that has been pushed back to 2019. But don't worry, though, guys, it's nothing to do with the quality of the podcast. We, we just want to get it as right as we possibly can, just make it the best that it possibly can be. But what we're going to do is we're going to add a whole load of new podcasters, okay? So it might not be quite what you had in mind, but it's going to be good, real good. Trust me, okay? Okay. Uh, hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, which this week is brought to you by Rakuten TV, your cinema at home. Yes, Rakuten TV releases Hollywood movies direct to your smart TV or device with no commitments, just Rent or buy your favourite movie, whenever you like, wherever you like, uh, with the widest 4K HDR film catalogue for smart TVs in Europe. Rakuten TV strives to provide the best audio and image quality, delivering a realistic cinematic experience in the comfort of your own home or someone else's home. This week, no Helen O'Hara. She is gallivanting around LA somewhere. We are joined by Empire's this is a ridiculous job title, but uh, what is it? Editors, Empire's editor in chief, brackets digital. Is that is that yeah. what? Yeah, yeah, that's actually what it is. Yes. Uh, James Dyer, welcome mm. back to the podcast. Thanks. It's been a while. Has it? It has. Has it been like two weeks or so? It's been a few weeks because I've been off doing my special secret super project. Uh, what is this secret project, Jim? But what have you been doing? What have you been beavering away on? The secret project is the new magazine we are launching, uh-huh. uh, Empire for TV or Pilot TV, as it's known, uh, which you can find out about at www.pilottvmag.com. Oh, wow. Uh, Was that it, URL not already in use? I'm, I'm, it's astonishing, isn't me. it? Yeah, we nearly got pilottv.com, but it would cost £20,000, and marketing basically laughed in my face. Who has that? I, well, people who aren't me. I'm going to look um, at it right now while you say yeah. boring things. I don't know who has it, actually, but yeah, someone, someone's got it. They may not be using it, but they won't let us have it. So yeah, so we're out on April the 5th, and we have a veritable cornucopia of TV stuff. <laughs> uh, Do we know? Including features on Luke Cage and Westworld and all sorts of other exciting things. And there may or may not be 10 pages on the West Wing. And I'm just saying there could be. I'm who not saying there that? is. Who do we have who? who knows enough about the West Wing who would to bang write 10 on? entire pages on it? Yeah, who would, who would wang on about the West Wing for 10 pages in a magazine? Who I mean, indeed? Who indeed would do that? Uh, but yes, it's great. Uh, it is a super magazine. If you love TV and you love Empire, you'll love Pilot. No, it looks very, very good. Thanks. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the launch of your little fanzine, and <laughs> uh, I'm sure it's going to be, it's going to be great. Uh, I say this because I had no involvement with it whatsoever. No, no, that's not true. On press day, you and Nick did come over and start doing funny voices behind me while I was trying to work. Uh, I felt that was a valuable contribution. This until Chris Lupton asked you to leave the room. <laughs> Which only made me stay all yeah, more. I know. You were Randy Newmaning on Presto. I did appreciate that. Uh, no, we've got lots and lots of fun things. Lots and lots of fun things. The geekiest thing in the issue. Right. It's not out until next week. It is not out until next week, and we'll talk more about it then. But the geekiest thing in the issue is uh, an artist's impression of the island on Lost. Wow. Uh, which we drafted in a cartographer to help with. Uh, and it is anatomically accurate per every episode of the series. It's very nerdy. <laughs> I loved it. 
And uh, Mike Coulter is on the front cover. Isn't yes, he? So indeed. He tweeted about it yesterday and got exciting. the release date wrong. But it's other fine. You going to correct Luke Cage? No, no. Sweet Christmas, no. So he thinks it's out April fifteenth. What he <laughs> said was, uh, you can go and buy it on April fifteenth. Which and is true. Technically, he's not wrong. Mm, he's not. He's wrong. not wrong. But it is out on April fifth. Uh, so we'll be giving it the big old plug next week. Don't worry. Yes. You know, you'll get the full, the whole nine yards next week. Uh, and I should introduce the third member of our Swinging Sausage Fest. The the the. How shall I say the tasty chorizo to uh, to James's chipolata and my Cumberland in your dreams <laughs> pepperoni at best. Yeah. Oh, I love pepperoni. Not uh, anymore. <laughs> I don't think I can eat a pepperoni again now. It's a bit of an animal. It's uh, it's it's Ben Travis. I'm going to use the um, extra year and a half in production to kind of perfect my. Um, uh, motion capture performance as John Nugent, which uh-huh. I've been uh, practicing mm-hmm. for the last few weeks. You don't so. have the boy band here. No, but I, I've got the time now to grow that out. Okay, so. fair enough. That's my grand plan. Well, guys, it's good to have you here. I'm very excited to have you on the podcast this week. Uh, shall we have a question? Yes. Yeah. Shall we do it? All right. So this is a question. This is from uh, this is the first time question asker, as far as I can tell. It's at Peter Wood via Twitter, and he asks, or he says rather, you lose your job. Oh no. Through judicious use, or injudicious, surely, of company expenses. Hashtag 19-inch Galactus. Now, that is a disgraceful accusation. I paid for a Galactus with my own money. What movie-themed business do you start to pay the bills? Puns are greatly appreciated. I'd go for a deli called Admiral Snack Bars. I'd probably go and work for him at Admiral Snack Bars. That's (laughs) an awesome name. Although not the best. Uh, There was uh, a kebab... Uh, van that used to come around our halls of residence university and it was called Jason's Donovan <laughs> oh, that's so and that good. was pretty inspired and isn't there a chain called Abracababra as well that's pretty good Abra- Abracababra yeah. yeah yeah there is I in terms of the, the pun stuff I mean I've I've long banged on about uh, my range of drinks uh, the Sack Snyder's Snack Cider uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah compared to um, other cider brands out there in terms of the like the colorization and the and the texture of it is it darker and grittier than other <laughs> ciders no man it's it's more conceptual than than your average drink most drinks just have liquid not sack snyder's snack cider it has bits of gravel i've i've, I've, <laughs> so, I've actually tried some of this snack cider and you know it, it it looks good and it tastes good initially but frankly there's just too much going on and it becomes a whole mess and the aftertaste is appalling oh come on guys Come on. Sack Snyder's Snack Cider coming to a, a cafe near you soon. Hashtag release the Snyder Cup. Hey. Make, hey. It, make it work. Unite um, the seven flavours. <laughs> <laughs> I would genuinely love, the, love that to happen. Um, I, I also, we, we did something in Empire along these lines a few years ago where we had Jason's Statham, which was uh, Jason Statham has released a range of meats but on each slice of meat, there's a fun fact. So you, <laughs> you get to learn things before you uh, before you, you you ingest it, which I think is a good idea. I like that idea. I would encourage uh, film stars to release self help books, starting with the Jude Laws of Attraction, and <laughs> and followed by the Jar ja Rules, Rules of Attraction. Of attraction. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'd be a winner. Uh, these are all Empire's Greatest Hits. They are. Coming, <laughs> our, coming our, we've, we've no original material. We've run out. Funnily enough, someone uh, 
came into the office yesterday to ask me. He was he wanted to talk to me about the Empire Podcast and you know what makes it tick. Uh, and he said, you know, what was the what was the idea behind the Empire Podcast? Did you guys sit down and establish a gap in the market? Did your marketing <laughs> team put together a proposal based on what they thought would bring in the most revenue? And we were like, no. And I said, essentially, we talk a lot of shit in the office, and we thought it might be funny to record it. Yeah. And that's really what this is. Yeah, yeah, that's that's generally what happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we just walked into a room and started recording. Yeah. Gap in the market, eh? That's right. I, I've been asked recently, and I, I've just been asked again, to speak at events <laughs> about the podcast and my approach to the podcast. And, you know, you know, loads of people come in with facts and figures and stuff. And I'm like, I, honestly, if you, have you listened to the show? <laughs> we have no idea what we're doing. Yeah. It's quite evident. It's a anyway, charm. Um, yeah, so they say. I don't know. In terms of uh, other things, I'd be quite up for running a movie-themed restaurant. I know this week there was a controversy about, or a controversy, if you will, uh, about Steven Spielberg and Carl's Jr. in the States, mm, where Spielberg. they, they're, yeah, they're trying to run uh, launch this line of, of burgers that they've they've brilliantly called Spielbergers, and he uh, he took to Twitter, which he doesn't often do, via the Amblin account. And said, "This is Steven Spielberg. Yeah, yeah. I'm quite paraphrasing, flattered, but cease and desist, guys. Cease and desist." Here's a better question. Yeah, why is it Carl's Junior and not Carl Juniors? It's grammatically upsetting. Carl's Junior. It's like it's basically Carl has something small. He has like a smaller something, and that's what it sells. If I'm buying burgers, I don't want small burgers. No, you want the Carl biggest. Juniors. Sounds like Carl Junior has a shop. Mm. That is indeed an upsetting grammatical error. Yeah. You're right, it is Carl's Jr. Have you ever been there? To Carl's Jr.? Yeah. No. Not even if they had a Spielberger. Uh, why do you keep saying like that? Not even if they had a Spielberger range. Uh, no, I've been to Fatburger. Oh, Fatburger. Mm. Now, you're, now you're talking. But I've never been to, what are the other ones? Like Denny's? Like, I've not been to a lot of them. When you, you lived must... in LA for a while, we used to go to the IHOP quite a lot. <laughs> yes, we did. Uh, and In-N-Out? In-N-Out is great. In-N-Out. I've In-N-Out. had an In-N-Out burger. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and uh, I mean, what are we talking about? Anyway, so the, the business. So you could open a movie-themed restaurant mm-hmm. and you'd have... I've got a couple of those. Neil Burger. Just, would it be operated by Neil Burger? Or no, he's a he's a renowned director. Why would he <laughs> waste his time doing this? No, it would just be the Neil Burger, and you'd have your your eggs mm-hmm. over Scorsese. Hey, yeah, you like it? I like you, that. You like Grim Gold? This, with that? this is just as stupid as if like an actor, like I don't know, like Mark Wahlberg, <laughs> opened a burger restaurant <laughs> just because he could find it on his name, which we all can agree would never happen. Yeah. No, it wouldn't work. Have you ever been to a Wahlburgers? No. Where are they? They're probably in Boston. They're, what the hell was that accent? <laughs> what? Yeah, Boys, you don't like my my authentic south, Southie accent? I didn't. No. If I'm honest with you, okay, I won't do it again. I thought it was appalling. <laughs> Boston. Um, yeah, Wahlburgers. So, um, what would you what would you open, uh, Ben? Uh, so I've got a uh, buffet, the hunger slayer, because you can just. <laughs> I mean, buffet restaurants are. Uh, yep, it's good. That's decent. That's decent. Um, the other one is is Mac and Cheese and Me. <laughs> Although Mac and Me, I believe, was already a McDonald's Mac and Me came out when you were not even born. How do you even know it exists? Purely because of Paul Rudd's insistence of showing oh that clip from God. Mac and Me every time he's on any form of American chat show. It's... I love the fact that uh, the Hot Pie from Game of Thrones opened a restaurant called Game of Scones. And he um, did he serve hot pies? Well, the problem thing is, I don't, I don't understand why he didn't just call it Hot Pies and just put the mm. apostrophe before the S. Maybe George R. R. Martin's lawyers had something to say about that. I would have done that. Sorry, I've got Game of Thrones on the brain. I literally watched all 67 episodes again in the last month, and it's kind of 
frankly turned me a bit peculiar. <laughs> turned you a bit peculiar. Yeah, it was it was it was a heroic rewatch. Okay. I'm an honorary member Did of the Night's Watch. Oh, I loved every minute of it. It's it's yeah. incredibly good. Though controversially I've gone off the seventh season. I think when you watch them all back to back, you see the failings. We talked about this quite a lot in the office. Yeah. You see the failings of that that last season from a narrative and a character point of view. Like it's got it, it's like fan fiction. Like it's got all the all dragons, wall zombie stuff, but none of the meat that made it great. Uh, if you want to listen to our spotter special about the seventh <laughs> season, you can do so as well. That's on there. You have uh, James and Hel- was Helen on that? James and uh, Helen. Yes, yeah. yes, we spoke, James we spoke to the Three Eyed Raven. Uh, yeah, that's right, with uh, Bran Stark himself mm. and then some idiot who's watched literally two episodes of Game of Thrones was on there as well. <laughs> Don't know who that was. So do pick that up. Uh, what what business would you open, Jimbo? What business would I open? Do you know what? Funnily enough, I went to a yoga class last night and at one point uh, she was talking about chakras and energies and something else. But she did talk about opening one's third eye and I thought, oh, that's th- three-eyed raven. So I thought, wondered that there's some kind of Game of Thrones yoga class I could do, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hold yourself up like a White Walker, or I don't know. Yeah, until you had Sean Bean on Twitter going, yeah. "I heard some bloody some bloody guys open a yoga as Game of Thrones, cease and desist, <laughs> cease and bloody desist." Yeah, reclining dragon pose, you know, rising White Walker <laughs> could be good. Yeah. Sleeping direwolf. Every time someone comes in, you could yell, "Hold the door!" <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Yes, retreating Hodor. <laughs> I, I, yeah, this could work. This could, I, I'd be up for that. But there's yeah. actually a, a shameless plug for someone who frankly doesn't pay for it and doesn't deserve it. There's an exercise app on the iPhone called Carrot uh, where there's a demented AI that talks you through the various exercises. Mm-hmm. And it's all bodyweight stuff, but they aim them squarely at geeks. So there's one where you kind of do a sort of a, a stress possession against the wall and it's called Invisible Iron Throne. Uh-huh. Uh, and there's dragon mating dances. Uh, and it's all kind of film and nerdery TV theme stuff. It's very, very funny. Downward facing direwolf? No, but there's uh, there's climbing Mount Dooms, which are like runners, which are quite good. And the press ups are called Kowtows to Cthulhu. So, you know, if you want to make exercise more fun and geeky, give that a go. Fantastic. I should I should mention a couple of other uh, a couple of other ideas. Uh, one is uh, I might just uh, start a business selling all the call sheets I've accumulated over the last few years because people will want to see. I think people want to pay big bucks. For the call sheet from Doctor Sleep, uh, a mm. film that nobody saw starring Goran Viznich from EI. EI? EI. EI, the old McDonald TV series. <laughs> <laughs> Ended up to four seasons when they ran out of animals. <laughs> they were like, we're, we're done now. Uh, ER. What's EI? <laughs> EI. Artificial intelligence. ER. And people want to know that. They, they, they want to know. Mm. And also, I would just retire for a little bit find myself and just work really, really hard on my, my concept album. Now that's what I call me by your name, Volume 3. Oh, Here it comes again. Featuring all your favourite hits, including, of course, how could anyone forget? Kill me. Call me by your name. Call me, call me, call me by your name. Oh yeah. That would be in there. Dear God, Please make it stop. Yeah, It's never going to stop then. The only thing that's worse than that is the second verse. <laughs> the second part of the course. <laughs> yeah. The second part of the course. Yeah. You're never going to hear it. <laughs> Did anyway. you include that in the podcast when I you put it out? It. You cut it out. Yeah. You cut out the second verse. Yeah. Wow. It's not the second verse. It's the second part of the course. I can't believe you cut out release the second Release the Hewitt. Yes, yeah, release the Hewitt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not well, going to lie. No, it involved the peach. If I, if I ever, if I ever, ever finish that song, then you'll hear the whole thing. But anyway. 
Let's move on. Thank you, of course, to... It's Peter Wood for that question. If you want to have your question read out in the Empire podcast, you could do so. Find a number of methods. We are on Twitter as Peter Wood fan out to his cost. Uh, you can tweet us there using the hashtag Empire Podcast. You can email us podcast at empireonline.com and you can Facebook us as well, which we would love you to do. All right, time now for our first guest this week. Leslie Mann is one of the funniest actors in uh, America, I would say. she. I've been laughing a lot at her on the big screen. Uh, I don't go around to her house and point through the window and laugh. That would be weird. Uh, I've been laughing a lot at her since she was in George of the Jungle way back in 1997. And since then, she's been very, very funny in the likes of The 40-Year-Old Virgin and Knocked up and I love you Philip Morris and funny people and I'm not going to mention this is 40 and the other woman and vacation and now she's back 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 in the big screen this week in blockers as a mother who's trying desperately to stop her teenage daughter from losing her virginity on prom night and she teams up with two parents played by John Cena and Ike Barinholtz to try and make that happen she came into London recently into a London hotel room and we had a bit of a laugh Give a laugh. And um, if you were following me on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, you'll have seen me tweet about the time that I spat, accidentally spat on an interviewee. And as you're about to hear, that interviewee was Leslie Mann. I am still absolutely beside myself with embarrassment. So here we are talking about pretty much anything but blockers, starting with Pacific Rim Uprising. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the star of Blockers, Leslie Mann. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I have to say my mind's been blown because I just, everyone these days has a podcast. Everyone these days seems to listen to a podcast. But this is your first podcast experience, apparently. Well, I've listened to podcasts. You've listened to podcasts. I've never yeah. done one. Yeah. Okay. So you, you're kind of in the drill. But I plan to make a lot of noises <laughs> like this. So uh, like a door really, opening. You're really uh, uncomfortable. That's good. It's good. I'll pump these noises up. I, I edit the podcast as well, so oh, it's oh, fine. Okay, okay. So if you make a noise I really disagree with, it's gone. <laughs> and if you refer to it, I'll cut that as well. I, I can cut anything. It's amazing. Okay. Uh, but I hope this is going to be a, a fairly comfortable experience for you. Uh, as we're doing this junket, mm-hmm. it's not just for blockers, blockers. We're in a London hotel and there's a junket for Pacific Rim Uprising. Mm-hmm. Have you been tempted to gay crash I, any of the interviews? This is this is so awful. What is Pacific Rim? <laughs> I don't even know. Did you not see the first movie? It came no. out a couple of years ago. What is it called Pacific Rim? Pacific Rim. One? And this is Pacific. I wish Pacific it. I wish Rim it had two? been called Pacific Rim One. That what, would have been amazing. What's it called? It's just called Pacific Rim, uh, which is a strange name Wait, for a what's family this song blockbuster. Called, then? Pacific Rim Uprising. Uprising. Okay. So the next blockers will be blockers <laughs> uprising. All sequels have to be called Wait, uprising. What, what's Pacific Rim about? Pacific Rim is about uh, giant giant aliens come to Earth. Okay. From, from another dimension, oh. and we build giant robots. Mm. <laughs> it's very much like blockers. Uh, we build giant robots to fight back, and so and the, but the best bit uh, is. Uh, the robots are piloted by uh, by people. So the people get inside the robots oh. and they pilot the robots oh. by moving their arms. Okay. And right up my alley. It's, I'm, <laughs> I'm amazed it hasn't no. been a staple in your who's household. It, who's in the, wh- wh- why, would it, why, why would people watch it? <laughs> Not other people, but like in my household. I don't know. It just feels like it would be something that would like be on ro- all the time. Robot movies? Yeah. Uh, you know, 
Um, we watched a lot of Iron Giant when Maude was little. My 20-year-old, she's when she was like three, yeah. she loved Iron Giant. Right. So maybe she would like this movie. Well, this is like Iron Giant, but if the Iron Giant picked up a battleship and used it as a hammer to okay. smash a giant monster okay. in the face. We'll, we'll go check it out. Who's in it? Uh, who's in the first one? The first one was Charlie Hunnam. Oh, Charlie Hunnam. Idris Elba. He had a big oh. speech, a big sort of, we got to cancel the apocalypse oh speech. Gosh, it was I a, love Idris It was Elba. amazing. Okay. Oh, he's fantastic. I'm going to go see it. Guillermo del Toro Wait, are they here? No, he's not here because he, he, well, I don't want to spoil the film for you, but he dies at the end. Oh, oh what about Charlie Hannah? Sacrifice. He survived, but he didn't come back. So it's it's later. It's like 20 years later. Oh, okay. And now John Boyega is Idris's son. Oh. And the aliens have come back, wouldn't you know it? And so they need to. <laughs> as they do. As they do. They just, they just won't stop coming back. So now they have to build bigger monster, uh, robot fighting monsters. Okay. And... Okay. I'm going to go see how it It's got Eastwoods in it as well. Okay. Why am I selling this film to I'm you? Not I don't sure. really know what's happening. But I'm going to go see it. Oh, welcome to your first podcast experience. This is... <laughs> it's going really well. It's going fantastically well. Uh, should we talk about the film that you're actually here to talk about? Yes which is blockers. No giant robots, no giant monsters. But was there a draft where there were giant robots? We, re- we took out the giant robot part. <laughs> it's such a, such a shame. You could have I had know, a robot coming really in. Good. I think John Cena would have been fantastic fighting the giant robot. He... He's kind of like a giant, giant man. We have a yeah. giant man. Is there someone inside him piloting him at, at all times maybe. as well? Yeah, maybe. So we do have robots in our movie. We do have robots. You just didn't know about it. Now we can compete with Uprising. The what? P- Pacific Rim Pacific Uprising. Rim. But yes, Blockers. Uh, I don't want to spoil the film for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, but we are in a hotel room. And there is a moment in Blockers where you have to... You, you find yourself in a room that you shouldn't be in. Let's, mm-hmm. let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. And you have to kind of parkour yourself out of it. Yes. So... You know, this is a very small room. I'd hear you if you were doing that, but how would you do it? I mean, it's 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 a difficult thing to do. I would uh, if there was a bed. There, the bed is. They've taken the bed out I for interview ro- purposes. I would roll underneath the bed and hide underneath the curtains. Just, yeah. Just like I do, and then I would climb up on the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> Hang from the ceiling. Uh, there's nothing uh, to hang from, though. I mean, that's a problem. Scale the walls right. sideways, um, yeah, and then and then just make my way out the door. Fantastic. <laughs> and no one would hear a thing. And no one would hear a thing. I'm quiet you, as a mouse. Do you have a parkour experience? Do you like to parkour around LA? Do you do you, do you bounce from place to place? I do. Yes, that's me. <laughs> I could tell the way you walked into the room. Really? You didn't just walk into the room. You you bounced. <laughs> you took out three guys on your way in as well, which was uh, which was pretty cool. You should be in Pacific Rim 3, by the way. Uh, oh, maybe, yeah. That's a good idea. <laughs> Once you familiarize yourself with the concept of the franchise, yeah. you're, you're going to be you're going to be okay. You're going to be fine. Um, but this movie, it also feels it feels so accidentally timely, I guess, because yeah. when you started filming this, me too, time's up, everything mm-hmm. that has happened over the last few months mm-hmm. hadn't happened. But here suddenly we have this 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 movie. It's uh, very female-centric. It mm-hmm. is directed by Kay Cannon, obviously. Mm-hmm. And it just feels like now is the perfect time. Mm-hmm. What's your what's your feeling about to that? To talk about female empowerment. Yeah. Yeah, and young girls being in charge of their... Um, having agency over their bodies. <laughs> and, um, and being, you know... Uh, it's it's fun to see girls have been acting like this and talking like this forever. Yeah, it's fun to see a movie 
about it and not just have the movies, you know, covering what the boys are doing because it's it's enough already. Um, But it's really nice. Yeah. It's really nice to see, to see that. So, but it's also a movie where the parents play as big a role as the kids. Mm -hmm. And it's a movie that basically says the parents can be just as big, uh, uh, just be as idiotic and just be as big of a dick as, as kids growing up. My daughter was going away to school, to college when we started shooting this movie. So, um, I was, I had, uh, I was really interested in, in telling this story because okay. I was going through it. I was living it in my real life. Oh, really? Yeah. So I thought it'd be fun to, um, let out all my feelings. <laughs> and I had a lot to say too, um, but, uh, yeah. There's a lot of improv in something like this. Yeah. So are you, are you basically just... Well, there's just, a lot of, it wasn't just, um, we did improvise, but we also, you know, uh, sat down and worked on things, you know, beforehand. And uh-huh. there was a lot of, uh, um, and I'm the only one who's been through that yeah. of everyone there. So, um, you know, I had a lot to, I was probably the one who, who well, I knew best what what that was like to go through that mm. experience because it's, it's it's a movie that obviously has very exaggerated comedic sequences as well right. but there is a, an underpinning of emotion there yeah. real emotion mm-hmm. your character Ike's character gets mm-hmm. a, a big moment as well yeah uh, was that I guess it was must have been important for you guys and Kay to, to establish that because yeah. otherwise you don't really really care about what the characters are going through exactly uh, yeah I thought that you know it's it's fun to watch someone suffer mm-hmm. <laughs> and so like I did it for parents who are going through what I was going through mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I suffered so that they could <laughs> laugh about it <laughs> right. so that they can yes. get some some relief from that you know a devastating moment <laughs> when your children go away to college or leave you <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> So this is a, this is therapy. This movie, yeah, essentially is therapy. I think so. Part okay. of it. Part of it. Excellent. And Am I Richard? doing vocal fry? That's yeah, the yeah. other thing I hate on oh, podcast. What's that? Vocal fry. What's vocal fry? This. Oh really? When people talk like this. No, you're not doing it so far. You're, you're 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 doing well. I caught myself doing it for a second. Oh no, you're fine. Real quick. You're fine. You're fine. It's a conversation. That's something we talk about it in our house. Oh really? Yeah, the podcast people. People on podcasts with vocal fry. Hi, I'm here today to talk about. I'm sure I've done it myself. No, don't do no? it. Oh God! It's, oh God! Now it's on my mind. <laughs> I've never heard of it before, honestly. Vocal so fry? I've taught you about Pacific Rim, and now you're teaching me about vocal fry. So <laughs> Sorry, this is good. So explain to me further the concept of vocal fry. Is it literally where just someone goes, "Hey, what's going on?" Hi. Well, you can hear. I don't have headphones on. Yeah. Hi, and it. It, it starts out like this and then ends like this. <laughs> I'm here today yeah, to well, talk you... to you about some really funny things that I've discovered in my travels. Well, you know what? We I don't think we've ever had anyone on the Empire podcast Can you try? in six years. Can you try vocal fry? Can I try? What if you do it uh, and then it sticks? Oh, God. And you can never... And then you're like, I just can't shake the vocal fry. What if that? <laughs> <laughs> this, this is a career ruiner. Sorry. Uh, career. 
career ruiner. Am I doing it right? Is this, That's right. Is this right? Okay. That sounds right. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's uh, there's a uh, there's an interesting. I mean, I don't know whether it's interesting or not, but uh, in this movie, you and John and Ike have uh, a lot of scenes together. Wait a oh. What if you'd hated each other? What if we? <laughs> what if we hated each other? Yeah. That would be awful. That would be so awful. We really loved each other. We still love each other, um, but. Uh, yeah, thank. Well, I should say that you're you're wearing a thank I hate God. John Cena t-shirt. Right? Thank God. <laughs> oh, that's so that's such that's a relief. Seriously, thank God. Um, uh, I'm wearing a I hate John Cena. What am you I? See, this is the thing. This is the thing. This is the podcast, like so I can just tell bug? people. No, you look fine. This, this is, is a good. weird outfit. It's a it's a good outfit. Okay. You're wearing a red top, red and black top. I look like a it's ladybird ish. No bug. Ladybug. Well, we just call them like, ladybirds over here. You do. We do. Yeah. Oh, this is uh, honestly. This should be re- re- retitled instead of the Empire Podcast. It should be entitled "Learning Stuff" <laughs> with Chris Hewitt and Leslie Mann. This, this simply that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! So, a ladybird. Ladybird. Like yeah. Better. Yeah. So okay. there you go. So, it, bug, it's it's ladybug. fine. Ladybug. Yeah. Ladybird. See, lady, yeah, lady ladybird. See, ladybirds are they're kind of they're they're docile, peaceful creatures, aren't they? Where ladybug feels like they're going to go into your brain. Yes, and, you're right. Yeah. Okay. Which nobody wants that. Nobody. nobody Nobody wants that. Anyway, uh, so you and Ike and John didn't hate each other. It wasn't it wasn't hate at first sight because no. I just I can't imagine what that would have been like. I'm sorry, I I've just spat on you. He just spit on I me. Just spat on you. you just oh spit God. on me. I am so sorry. <laughs> I am so sorry. This has never happened to me before. <laughs> really? Do you spit on everyone? You do. I don't. I don't consider it a badge of honor. Mm. <laughs> Wait, will. I think you might be able to see it. I am so mortified. Team. I am so mortified. <laughs> I'm cu- I'm keeping this in, by the way. I'm keeping this in. You better keep that in. Yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, I was so appalled by your outfit. I just had to, <laughs> yeah, just spit on it. You just spit on it. That's so mean. Oh my god. Uh, is there any way back for this now? Yes. Is there is? Yeah. We, we can retrieve this. Okay. Good. Okay. Good. Good. Um, what, was, what can you remember the first time you met John and Ike? Uh, where did we meet? At a table read. Okay. And um. I thought that, uh, you know, they're just like the, I could, the, I feel like they're my buddies and we, we spent a lot of time together. We shot nights. So mm-hmm. we were uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh-huh. Yes. And um, so we would work from like three o'clock in the afternoon till sometimes nine o'clock the next morning. Hang on a second. So a we second. had. That's we, eight. That's. Three, twelve. I mean, maybe hair and makeup. The so That's four, five. It was crazy, crazy hours, <laughs> crazy hours all night long. So all, we were just like, you know, like what's the word? You were you were you were trapped together. You were stuck together. We essentially, were, we were so. trapped together, but also going kind of crazy because start crazy. Yeah, we didn't have any sleep. Okay, and so we were like, we we it got we got close. All right, good, good. Things got weird. Things got super weird. <laughs> oh man, if we had more time, we would dig into that I big know. time. But uh, but we don't. But uh, I will ask you one last thing. I've been to Atlanta uh, a couple of times. I'm quite a cultured guy, as you can tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm quite cultured. And, cultured. Uh, uh, so I have to ask you: Did you go to the world of Coca Cola? I did. I and so did. I had think? to visit all the museums. <laughs> <laughs> So you start with the world of Coca-Cola. That's exactly. Well, that's the only one. <laughs> 
Atlanta's not big in this history. It's got Coca-Cola and that's it. And that's Pretty it. Good. Did you try all the sodas? I tried most of them. Oh my God. Did you feel so sick? Uh, it's my life. Just this drinking. Just, that's the, what I do. There Look were like... How many? A hundred? Uh, yeah, lots of them. Lots, yeah, I yeah. tried them all too. Yeah, and then I would just randomly spit on people. <laughs> uh, it's what I would, it's what I do. It's what I do best, That's some people thing. say. Uh, uh, can I blow your mind with one more fact? You probably know this because you've been to the world of Coca-Cola. Mm. The voice of the fault in the world of Coca-Cola. This might be different now. Donald Sutherland? It's Donald Sutherland. Wait. So you go inside, you go inside this big fault. Yeah. And it's this voice that goes, welcome to the world That's of Coca- Donald That's Sutherland? Donald Sutherland. Wow. Good to know. Uh, if you've but taken I nothing... I don't really care. <laughs> How can you not care? How can you not care about that? One day, one day, did that you, might come up in a quiz. Did you cry during the video, though? Did you? No. You didn't? I, I cried during that Coke video. I'm so embarrassed. Right. Okay. Well, right. uh, maybe I need to revisit it um, for blockers too. Uprising. Yeah. <laughs> keep, keep blocking the cock. Cocks will be blocked. Cocks will be blocked. Okay. Right, well, fantastic. It's, nice meeting it's you. been a pleasure. How, do you want a second podcast experience or, you, or is this it? You're done. I, I, I'm never going to do this again. <laughs> this was awful. Bless you, man. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Cheers. Okay, so that was Leslie Mann uh, and her first ever podcast experience. And I feel very confident that there will not be a second <laughs> after that. Uh, have you ever accidentally spat, spat on someone you've been interviewing? I, I probably. This was horrible, though, because, you know, sometimes you know, you're, you're talking and sometimes a little bit of... You spat in her face fleck. is what you're saying. Well, we were, we were about six feet apart, I would say. Wow, that's actually quite impressive. I know, for me to... Yeah, I was speaking and, I, and then just a rogue... Fleck just escaped, but it arced. It arced <laughs> through the air, and in it was slow motion. It's it felt in slow motion, and it was briefly lit by the, <laughs> ho- the by the hotel lights as well, by the, the lights of the room, and I oh, and, and it, it struck it just, her, and I was just absolutely mortified. And but in that way, I can't please tell me she didn't see that because you know sometimes did she call you on it? Well, I called myself on it because I I knew she'd seen it because sometimes people could be looking. Left or looking right, that we're looking at. She scans. followed it with her eyes as it arced she, towards yeah. her, as the as the rainbow prism of light yeah. from the. And I just, oh my god, I just felt so awful, and I just thought, well, it's, I, I have to address this. I have, to, I have to address the fact that I have just spat on you, <laughs> but not in a uh, Jamie Carragher way. It wasn't like that. It wasn't a deliberate projectile. It was gobbed on a guess. I gobbed <laughs> on a guess. Shocking. It maybe it could be a new service we could we could uh, <laughs> that employ. could be your business. Yeah, hashtag gob on a guest. <laughs> <laughs> you just get to interview somebody in the end. Gob on them. Was she gracious? It's, it's a Did niche. Did go and have a shower afterwards? It's what a happened? niche show. I mean, I like it. Um, she was gracious, yes, to, to my face. But I imagine afterwards she was probably throwing darts at a picture of me, as most people do. Okay, so we'll talk about blockers later on the show. And now it is time to talk about this week's movie news. Uh, what hath been happening in the world of Hollywood a very good question. Um, you don't know, James, do I, you? I don't, because I've been, frankly, only concerned with television for the past month. But uh, my understanding is the Viper <laughs> from popular television show Game of Thrones is joining Wonder <laughs> Woman 2. So you've got a nice little intersection of uh, mediums there. Okay. And yeah. this is uh, Pedro Pascal. This is Pedro Pascal, a.k.a. Whiskey from Kingsman 2. And uh, he is playing a character. <laughs> who hasn't <laughs> been announced, so I can't tell you who it is, but I'm sure he will be 
fabulous since yes. I just watched him having his head pounded into mush. Yeah, is he going to make a swaggering entrance and become your favourite part of the film and then yeah. suddenly about two thirds of the way through he just gets squished and... That, the worst part of that, his it. teeth go flying out of his mouth when the mountain first punches him. It's really, it's really upsetting. Man, I hope people have seen their Game of Thrones episodes. <laughs> yeah, that was like four years ago. It Keep was. up, people. Yeah. The mountain and the viper. So that's some. Comic so that's a piece news. of news. There's other and, and also also uh, Chris Wig is is in that uh, in that as the the cheetah as woman. Cheetah, yeah, cheetah. Lady. So there's another piece of Wonder Woman thing that we knew already. Yes, we did. We talked about that like three weeks ago. Well, well done, James. I'm, just, I'm recapping. <laughs> it was probably the last time you were on the podcast. Yeah, it probably was. Good to see you. Um, I remember us talking about it because we talked about yeah. Thundercats. So. But we like we like Pedro Pascal, don't we? Uh, what, 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 what's interesting about this is, you know, the in the first movie, the Chris Pine character Steve Trevor was such made such a big connection with with Diana that uh, I don't know if they'll go down that route again because it's in Justice League she's still very very sore and sensitive about Steve so I'm not so sure that there's another love of her life looming large in this in this movie which we know will be set probably around the what 50s or 60s something like that oh I'd heard kind of 80s in the 80s okay alright um, I may be wrong but either way either way either way I don't think this is going to be a traditional mm-hmm. uh, male love interest so could be a could be another bad guy could be just a sidekick just be could be just he could just be playing himself who knows it's uh, that's that's very very cool indeed and the crown has cast their prince philip for seasons 3 and 4 uh Tobias Menzies indeed. while we're talking about he's Outlander in game of thrones, and, game of thrones he? and he's benjamin he is no 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 no, no, no. no Benjamin no, no. is. Um, he's not Uncle Benjamin. Benjamin he's, is. He's, 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 um, 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 Edmure Tully. It's Edmure yeah, Tully. Edmure Benjamin Tully. is uh, Joseph Moore. There you go. Uh, no, he plays, uh, he plays, uh, Edmure Tully, who is currently oh. languishing in a dungeon somewhere, I believe. As somebody who's only seen the first season of Outlander, does this mean that he's out of Outlander? Going That's a good forward? question. Because he's I, a major role. Yeah, in I it. only watched the first season, but he's he's very nasty in it. He's very nasty. Yes, he's very nasty. So he's playing Prince Philip. And that's, uh, <laughs> and that's fabulous. <laughs> no comment. No comment. That's exciting. He's going to be opposite Olivia Coleman, uh, and I'm sure they're both going to be receiving equal pay after everything that's come to light recently. <laughs> uh, they're going to be, you know, so I, I thought Paul Bettany had been cast in this role. Did I just make that up? Or was he linked with the role a, a few months ago? I think so. Yeah, there were a few, there were some rumblings. Rumblings about the bets. Yeah. And then he said, And then all bets were off. All bets were off. <laughs> I mean, surely he's very busy. It's not like anything bad's going to happen to to Vision in Infinity War. So yeah. surely he's, he's. Well, it doesn't matter if anything bad it. happens in Vision in Infinity War. It doesn't affect the actor Paul Bettany's ability to star in The Crown, Ben. I don't understand. What do you mean? This this is basic stuff, Ben. <laughs> What's going on? Is this the podcast equivalent of uh, small and far away? <laughs> if you die in one thing, you can still live in another. But he's he's not going to die in Infinity War. He's to, he's going to be extremely safe, and nothing bad is going to happen to him. So he's going to be very busy, and that's why he couldn't be in. Yeah, uh, sure. If something bad does happen to him, he won't mind. Gem. Hey. Oh, no, no, no. Don't worry, don't worry, Ben. I'm sure Vision will be twenty twenty. Hey. <laughs> that's terrible. Moving on. Did you know that um, Paul Bettany once wanted to start his own religion? And uh, in which people dressed up as his character from the Avengers movies, and his movement was based on Vision. I appreciate that Jurassic Park reference. That was a stretch. It was a stretch. No, but no, no. Any Reed Richards to Jurassic Park is a stretch. 
God, please make it oh, stop. Oh, God. Right. Um, something about dumplings. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the new Pixar short features dumplings. There we go. That's a bit of news. Wow, you've really gone on. James Dyer is all in on moving No, but this is crispy ones or steamed ones. Do you know or... what? I'm not sure. It could be pork, pork could be duck, could be vegetarian. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to say. I really uh, like the little crispy fried ones myself. I like the little pork dumpling ones you get at dim, uh, ping pong. Mm. They're good. The steamed ones are nice. Um, but this is good because this is an actual short as opposed to having to watch Olaf's Christmas Adventure. Yeah, which then was... obviously got pulled over here, so we just had yeah. to go straight into Coco without which, any five-minute I mean, heartwarming I wouldn't want to sit in front... I mean, Olaf's thing was like 20 minutes long. You know, yeah. you don't a lot to inflict want on to people. watch that first. Yeah, that was a bad choice. It was a bad choice. It's too and long. especially worse for depriving us from from a, a lovely Pixar short. Yeah. They're always a delight. <laughs> but we're going to get one about dumplings. We are. Yeah. In, in some quite big news, non-dumpling related news, um, there's a lot of things moving around with Fox's X-Men plans. Oh, uh, yes. So, yes, as, as Chris kind of... Did or did not reference... Cleverly alluded to... <laughs> in the opening of the podcast... Um, Dark Phoenix has been shifted by six months. Uh, so apparently there's going to be reshoots, but obviously the cast for that involves Jennifer Lawrence and Sophie Turner and um, Ty Sheridan, I think, is still around in that. And people who are busy doing mm. things. Uh, so those reshoots, I think, are going to take a while for them to complete or, or for everyone's schedules to line up again. So that is moving uh, six months uh, and it's going to be out in 2019 now, uh, I think in February. And then... Once again, the New Mutants has also been shifted a hell of a long way away. The old mutants. Yeah, they are going to be the old mutants by now. Um, Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, it was already shifted by, what, about nearly a year. Mm -hmm. uh, And now it's going to be out in August 2019, so well over another year away. Apparently there's going to be extensive reshoots. Rumour is that Fox wanted it to be scarier. If you've seen the trailer, you know that this is them doing basically a horror twist. Yeah. On, uh, on the X-Men universe and it sounds like kind of like Logan and Deadpool being totally distinct from the other X-Men films they want this to really push that horror angle even mm-hmm. further mm-hmm. there was rumours a while ago that um, with the initial delay that that was to bring in a whole new character mm-hmm. into the film that wasn't previously in it mm-hmm. uh, and yeah it's almost like they've bought themselves enough time to just completely redo what they want to do yeah this is a strange one I think Dark Phoenix going back is no cause for concern but I think at this point with the New Mutants, we are at the point where we have to say that this is a worry, right? If you push a film back 10 months, you can almost get away with it going, all right, so you want to change some things, you want to tweak it a little bit, okay, fair enough. You push it back a subsequent year, and now you're coming out a year and a half after it was meant to come out, then you have to start guessing, not assuming, not knowing, but guessing that that film is in trouble. Yeah, because you could have made an entirely new film in that time. Precisely, and that may well be what they're doing. I mean, it, it's it a well shame. Be. I didn't, I didn't love the trailer, but it took me totally by surprise. Yeah. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, I want to, I want to see what this kind of looks fresh, scary X Men film is going to be. And like, the cast is great. You've got mm-hmm. Maisie Williams. You've got Anya Taylor Joy, who is like, she's like a modern day scream queen. She's doing amazing stuff in kind of the horror and thriller genre at the moment. So it seemed like a great fit for her. Um, I mean. If it does give them the chance to, to, to amp up the horror, to make it exactly the film they want it to be, then we've got to keep our fingers crossed. But it is, it is as Chris said, worrying. But anyway, Neil, listen, we, we always say this in the podcast. We are excited and we hope that the film turns out well and we like the people involved. So fingers crossed. But we should talk about another comic book movie that has just officially started filming, even though I think it's been filming for a little while. And that is, of course, Marvel's Captain Marvel. 
uh, and it had some ad- interesting additions this week to the cast, uh, along with the the first sort of look at Brie Larson uh, climbing into a fighter jet because her character Carl Danvers is a is a fighter pilot, and uh, she was meeting another a real life fighter pilot for some research. Uh, but they announced some intriguing casting. We 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 already know about the likes of obviously Brie Larson and Ben Mendelsohn and Jude Law and Sam Jackson, of course, as Nick Fury. But this week they added some familiar faces to the cast. Uh, that we have seen in Marvel movies before. So Clark Gregg will be returning to an MCU film for the first time since uh, Avengers or Avengers Assemble, if if that's what you want to call it, uh, as Agent Phil Coulson, of course. He's been busy in TV land for the last five years. You, you, you'll have seen that TV show, won't you, Jimbo? I actually haven't seen Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think I've watched the first two episodes and then really? stopped. Okay. There is too much Marvel on television. <laughs> I'm currently waiting through Jessica Jones season two. People tell me it's good on Twitter. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm. just as it may be about to be cancelled. But anyway, so Clark Gregg is back as Phil Coulson. Uh, but intriguingly, because, and you may ask why, and that's because this film is going to be set in the early 1990s, way before the rest of the MCU, way before there was Tony Stark, way, way before be- there was... Ben. Hulk, before, way before there was Ben. Ben was born what in, you, in 2001. Yeah. <laughs> It, I, I was the little baby thing opposite, floating opposite the earth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I believe that. Yes. Uh, which, which, which year in the 90s is this? I think it's either 91 or 92. I'm not sure. If it's 92, I was there. I was you were born. there? I'm going to okay. have a cameo. Hang on, wait, wait a second. 90, 92, 92. How long ago was that? Is that a long time ago? It was a while ago, 26, yes. coming on 27 years ago. And you weren't born in 91? I was born in 91. Oh, so when were you word. born? Uh, 24th of August 1991, please send me presents. <laughs> okay. Well, this has been fun. Yeah. Uh, it's been fun having Ben on the podcast, but this unfortunately will be his last appearance. <laughs> wow. Are you a millennial, Ben? I mean, you're a. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I can afford avocados, but I can't afford a house, so I guess that means. Um... <laughs> this is London, mate. You can't yeah. afford an avocado yeah. either. Yeah. Anyway, Clark Gregg is back. Who else is back? Uh, Jimon Hunsu. Yes. Uh, <gasps> Clark Gregg. We would open a Clark Gregg's. So I'm going back to the question again. Oh, oh my God. I'm well in on that. <laughs> there we go. I like that. Yeah, he's back as Kor- Korath. Korath? Korath. Korath. It's the who? Yeah. At the start of Guardians. Yeah, so he was last seen in Guardians of the Galaxy as, of course, was Lee Pace as Ronan the Accuser. Uh, he didn't actually do any accusing last time around uh, but this time hopefully he will do some accusing those people spoiler alert died at Guardians of the Galaxy uh, Coulson's been running around Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for a while now but I'm interested to see what happens because this is going to be about the the war between the Kree and the Skrulls which are a race of shape-changing aliens and how that's going to fit into the MCU and and how that triggers the, the, the power evolution of Carol Danvers who is far and away the most powerful uh, superhero in the Marvel Universe Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, I really like as well that um, obviously with the 90s setting that this kind of casting shows that we are going to get 90s Earth and get to revisit some of those characters from the more Earthbound side of the MCU and also the cosmic side. It will kind of bring those two uh, ends of the spectrum of the MCU together in that kind of past way. It's good a good point. chance to revisit it, it, stuff. Explain something to me. Jumping on, on Captain Marvel because it's yeah. one of the few Marvel comics I'm, I'm familiar with. What, what? Why is she so much more powerful than all the others? Her powers are off the scale in terms of cosmic ability as Kevin Feige said she could I think he said something along the lines she could throw the moon into the sun or she could fly into the sun and survive unscathed so she's properly like Superman levels of power anyway so excited about that 
as you would expect if you've listened to this podcast. Marvel Cinematic Universe news? Yes, please. Anything else? Uh, Jack Whitehall has joined the cast of Jungle Cruise, which is another uh, The Rock film where he's likely to be wearing uh, a slightly off-cream shirt in a jungle location and doing actiony things. Uh, someone put out a tweet the other day of three identical-looking uh, images of The Rock that were actually images from, I think, Rampage, Journey 2, uh, I can't even remember what the subtitle for that was, and uh, the other one was, of course, Jumanji. Um, so... Jack Whitehall, it seems like, I wonder if he's getting a bit of a James Corden-esque leg up towards Hollywood. Um, mm-hmm. Corden is, he's still popular over there. People people like him. People like his... People love him. Can't get enough of him. And they like his kind of, like, comedy British, kind of posh-sounding thing. So I, I, I can see Jack Whitehall and kind of potentially getting a good... And speaking of Jack reception. Whitehall, Hugh Jackman will be playing... Jack Whitehall in the big screen version of uh, Bad Education, <laughs> which was announced today. So that's, that's, that's pretty exciting news. Does that mean you just skim read a headline and, and just assumed well, that? No, I, I don't know what you're talking about. It says here, Hugh Jackman ready to star in Bad Education. What yeah. else could it possibly refer to? Yeah, that's it. That's, that's, that's absolutely 100% what is happening there. And it's not a different film called Bad <laughs> Education. Yeah. That's what it is. That, 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 uh, and Scarlett Johansson has also signed on very, very quickly to star in Jojo the Rabbit, which is Taika Waititi's latest movie. And that's the one we talked about in the podcast recently where uh, he will play Hitler, uh, an imaginary Hitler, appearing to his young son, his own 10-year-old son in Nazi Germany. And that is certainly a film to keep an eye on because it sounds so weird and so out there and so potentially button-pushing and controversial. I've got one very last bit of casting news. Is it Doctor um, Doolittle? Doctor Doolittle and everyone in the world is being cast. Uh, mm. John Cena's going to play a polar bear. Kamel Nanjiani's going to voice an ostrich. Octavia Spencer's going to voice a duck. Rami Malek is playing a gorilla. Craig Robinson is going to be a mouse. Ray Fiennes is going to be Barry the tiger. Uh, there Ray Fiennes, surely. I know you... How, how is it? Of of the two of his names to get wrong, you've got Fiennes <laughs> wrong. Did, yeah, yeah, wait, did I, <laughs> Ray Fiennes. You said Fiennes. Ray Fiennes. Uh, yes. It's also got Tom Holland, not that one, in it, mm-hmm. which is uh, exciting. Uh, Marion Cotillard and Carmen Ejogo. I probably said that wrong as well. Serena <laughs> Gomez, Emma Thompson. It's Tom Pesson. All the people. Tom Pesson. Tom Pesson. Tom Pesson. Emma Tom Pesson. That's right. going to be in it. Uh, yeah, millennials. Everyone. And this is the Robert Downey Jr. is Dr. Doolittle and everyone else is voicing animals. Exciting. Yeah. Exciting stuff. Okay. I actually want to see that now, which is exciting. All right, that's it for the movie news. Let's move on now. It is time for our second guest. Uh, and he was our very first guest way back on the very first edition of the Empire Podcast back in, I want to say, February 2012. And he hasn't been back on since, which is a real shame. But uh, he is, of course, Paddy Considine, who is the brilliant actor and brilliant writer and director. He was last on for his directorial debut, Tyrannosaur, which is fantastic. If you haven't seen it, do check it out. And now he is back behind the camera, but also this time in front of the camera for Journeyman, which is a heart-wrenching tale about a boxer who suffers brain damage. And Paddy came into this very, very booth uh, last week to have a long chat with me about that movie, uh, about Olivia Colman and Tyrannosaur and Paddy's attitude towards Hollywood, uh, including talk about Paul Greengrass's Watchmen. So, hope you enjoy we're delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast for the first time since episode one of the podcast, way back in, Christ, February, March 2012. 
Wow. What the hell has kept you, Paddy Considine? Seriously. I've no idea. I don't know what's taken me so long to get back here. But I do remember being the first uh, guest on your on the first podcast all those years ago. I remember because we had a different format back in the day as well. So it was we had like two or three different interviewers. So you must have walked in and then suddenly there was a whole gang of us just... Yeah. Ask you dumb questions about, about your movies for like half an hour. Yeah, they were really dumb questions. <laughs> well, welcome back. <laughs> it's good to be back. <laughs> I haven't got any smarter in the, the oh, intervening well. years. Let's, let's throw the towel in now. <laughs> what about yourself? Over the last six years, have you grown as a person? Have you have you improved as a person? Have, is, have your mind grapes been squeezed a little bit more? <laughs> I hope so. Something's been squeezed. Some grapes. Um, no, I hope so, yeah. You know, I hope that uh, we all look back on our lives and see a little change in ourselves during that period. Yeah, yeah. but it's been... Uh, yeah, it's taken me a while to, to make another film as a director, but um, I've been doing plenty of other stuff in the meantime. Yeah. So I don't know how you haven't come on. You've, you've been in all sorts of stuff over the last six years. I don't know. I was never asked. I've asked plenty of times, but just not directly because I'm being professional, Paddy. Really? Uh, yeah, I don't want to just go come on in and do the podcast. I like to go through professional professional channels. You know I'd, I'd come I, on at any time. It doesn't happen. All right, okay. Well, don't leave it six years next time. That's basically all I'm saying. But uh, no, delighted to have you back and delighted to have you back behind the camera. With a journeyman, which is uh, oh, I, I thought you say journeyman, don't you? Yeah, journeyman. Because yeah. I've always I, maybe it's just an accent thing. I I think I just say journeyman. Yeah, yeah, not journeyman. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter really. But as I just I just noticed see the film. Yeah, I just noticed I was mispronouncing the name of your <laughs> film in front of you. And I just felt bad about it. No, but it's, uh, all good. it's it's good to have you back. And yeah, uh, you know, I know you were trying to get. Years of the Locust off the ground in the in the interim, yeah. um, which is an incredible book. If, if people haven't read it yet, go and check it out. Uh, how I know you didn't, it didn't happen for you, but how close did it come? It didn't really come that close at all because uh, we were. I, I met lots of uh, producers, but it wasn't like it, it was nearly ready, nearly going to go or anything like that. It mm. was. Um, I don't know. I got caught up in um, in that kind of Hollywood thing a little bit, you know, because I knew we needed a lot of money to make the film. And so I ended up taking meetings with some pretty sort of big-name actors who weren't really right for the parts, to be honest with you. So, But I had some fantastic adventures, you know, and met some wonderful people and uh, <laughs> wasted a lot of money. <laughs> and uh, going over to America, doing a lot of research on it, but never quite getting it off the ground. And, yeah. Um, you know, and in order to get the film financed, we we were looking at casting names and things like that. So I was playing that game a bit, and it's not how I like to sort of make films. I I don't um, I like to have people in mind. I like to write specifically for people, and I'm not just content to cast somebody just because they're a name and I can get my film financed. I'd rather not make the film if it's not the film that I want to make. Yeah, of course. And then once you sort of get into that territory, of course, I'd only made Tyrannosaur, so I can't go into these meetings asking for 20 million to make a film and then kind of throwing my weight around, you know. And mm. uh, so I think when you start to make those kind of films, you you kind of, if you're not careful, you, you lose a bit of your, you know, your licence as an artist to tell the story that you want to tell, you know. Um, yeah, because you're, you're open to notes and compromises yeah, in a way that... And, and notes are fine sometimes. Yeah. I don't listen to them, but, you know, I always... <laughs> 
But you, you know, look, I, I just want, I want to make the film the way I want to make it, and that's becoming more and more difficult. I think, particularly if you haven't got a track record of uh, financial success behind your films, then uh, you can't go into into rooms expecting people to fall over and give you money to support yeah. your vision. You know, the, the game's changed massively, um, and the Years of the Locust is one of those films that I couldn't just make it cheaply. Um, and I had some really great actors interested in, in the film for a while, but it just kept falling apart. You're dealing with agents, you're dealing with managers, and I'm just going, this isn't my world. I'm not used to this. I just sit across a table from someone say, I've got this script, oh, yeah, I'm yeah. developing an idea, I think you'd be great, Are you, do you want to be involved? And usually they'll say yes, and I go, right, okay, and then I'll go over and, re- and, and, and write the script and fashion it for them. Yeah. Um, but when you start to sort of go higher up the chain, you just there's all this other red tape that you have to get through, and all this other kind of bullshit. And I just wasn't willing to do the dance, really. So did you have to do a dance on on Journeyman in a way? No, no. It's um, I, I think the, the, what happened with Tyrannosaur when I cast that was that um, I wrote the part for Olivia Coleman, and but she'd never done anything of that nature before in her career. Um, all I had was my instincts about her. I was thinking maybe there's something inside her that I can draw out. And this is what based on your time on Hot Fuzz, in, um, in a weird way, or... Because I'm just wondering, because... <laughs> how do you go from Hot Fuzz to how that? Do you, yeah, precisely. To me, to me, Olivia Coleman, I, I have to listen to that intuition, and this is the truth, this is how mm. I work. There's, a, there's an intuition, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an inner voice, and... Um, you just have to listen to it, and there was a there was a kind of bizarre moment. I'd I'd written a, my short film dog all together. I'd never met Olivia. I'd only seen a couple of things of her with Pete on Peep Show and stuff. But I went to walk into the audition for Hot Fuzz, uh, sorry, the read through, and mm. we went to go through the door at the same time. And I went to hold the door and I said, "Oh, after you," and she went, "Oh, no, no, after you." And I just looked at her and went, "I've got her." It was really odd, and I rang my wife, and it's it's the honest-to-God truth. I rang my wife, and I said, I found her. I found the actress for my short film. So during Hot Fuzz, I told her I'd written this short film, and, and um, I want you to play the role. And, and then eventually we made it. And when it came to Tyrannosaur, I just, wanted, I just continued the story on, but then I wrote it specifically as a, as a sort of, you know, a piece for Olivia. Yeah. Um, who was very much like untested in in that kind of arena, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I'd sat with people who'd who'd sort of you who who kind of suggested other actors for that for that part, but I was dogged that it was Olivia because, as far as I'm concerned, she was a blank canvas. She had no sort of history. There wasn't an Olivia Coleman thing at that time. She was just known for her comedy. Yeah. And I thought when when the my, when the character Peter Mullen plays comes into this charity shop. I just want it to feel like you've never met this person before, whereas you could have cast some more established actors at the time in her role. And they come with all this kind of expectation and, and, and you, you know, but yeah, she'd never... She, it was a sort of an unknown... It was going into the unknown with her because she'd never done that type of character before. So when we start to discover in the film about her personal life and, uh, you know, we, we realise that she's living this real sort of ter- terrible, sort of brutal life under a very sort of controlling husband. It brought out qualities in Olivia that we, we'd we never seen before and that she'd never drawn upon before, you know. Um, so it was exciting and and it was a really great, beautiful process because it took time for her to 
you know, a few days for her to trust the, the process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even I had my doubts about whether she could do it. I, I, you know, I honestly did. And, and she had her own doubts, which is good. But um, I, I, I doggedly stuck by my guns and I said, Olivia Coleman's going to play this role. It's for her. And I believe that she can find the necessary depth to do it. Now, everybody knows that there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing that, that, that she can't do. Yeah. She's an incre- because she's an incredible, yeah. versatile actor. And I said that about her. I said, "You're different to me. You're an all-rounder. You can do this. You're you're an actor." Yeah. Um, but but it was almost like Tyrannosaur gave her the platform for, for every for, for everybody to know just what how great her potential was. And and yeah, it all traces back to that moment. It you, all you can only yeah. do that if somebody gives you the opportunity. And I, and as an actor, I felt like there were opportunities that I hadn't been given. So I had very much that in my head. I'm like, how can she, how, how can we know anything about her unless she's given the chance to to show us? You know? Yeah. Um, so and it and it proved brilliant. It was it was such a. I mean, people talk about transformation in performances, but I, I'll I'll never forget what we did on that film and what Olivia went through for me was a transformation because it, she wasn't changing her physicality and doing all these kind of actually tricks what she did what she achieved in that film was astonishing and it sort of validated me as a director in a way yeah you know it gave me the sort of uh, confidence to go oh, I can actually do this you know and I sort of had a fighter trainer mentality with her throughout the making of the really of the film okay and, and so it proved to be quite quite brilliant yeah. Well, like an actual fighter trainer relationship, or like a Ricky Mo- like a Ricky Mocky, like a Rocky Mickey, <laughs> Mocky Rocky, Ricky Mocky Rocky. Uh, so, well, it was more like you know, I always use boxing analogies. I always yeah. have, you know, it's just yeah. one of my habits, and I just felt like Freddie Roach in that okay. in that <laughs> scenario, and she was like Manny Pacquiao, and it's like, yeah, you're you're a, you're a really great fighter, but I'm going to make you into a great fighter. Wow! If you if you just trust me and. Uh, so she's up at five in the morning, flinging, <laughs> flinging tractor tires around. You can only work with what she has. Let, yeah. let, let's get this straight. You know, I don't, I didn't discover some talent in Olivia Coleman. Olivia Coleman was already a, a, a talented, yeah, actor. Yeah, that's amazing. There's though. nothing I gave her that she didn't already have. Yeah. It was just the opportunity and the trust that we were able to go to those places, which was the gift. But from opening a door, from from the, the simple act <laughs> of opening a door. Yeah, and you know, if you wanted to, if you wanted to put your my bullshit writer's head on, she opened some doors, Patty. She opened some doors. <laughs> she man. opened some doors. Yeah, the doors are still opening. Uh, <laughs> but from going from that, and Jodie Whittaker in this movie, in, in Journey, yeah. Journey Man, <laughs> I get it right, Journey Man, um, is astonishing uh, as well. And had, did you know Jodie beforehand? Well, what was it? In- I didn't really know. Um, it, it, it was. Uh, it came about really by my. my Makeup designer on both my films, and um, called Nadia Stacy, and I'd worked with her oh, on, yeah, other, yeah. on other films too, you know. And Tyrannosaur was her first opportunity to be a HOD, so I'd met her on a, on a film we did called Blitz, and mm-hmm. and I'd sort of I, I just got on really well with her, and I thought, oh, I've got a film coming up if you want a job. I didn't realize the hierarchy on the makeup truck. I just thought, oh, she's good at what she does. Come <laughs> and work for me, <laughs> and uh, you know. So she's since blossomed and done. Yeah, you know, great things of her own. But um, you know, she was just talking about it. They're all 
they're all a little group of friends, you know, and Olivia had spoken to me a bit about Jodie and saying, you know, I think you'd love to work with her, you know, and she's very much of uh, cut from a similar cloth to us guys. And <clears throat> and so I eventually just took a meeting with her and um, she 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 was kind of the, the, the kind of shape that I was looking for to play the role of Emma in the film. Mm. You know, she sort of, uh, you know, she brought these uh, kind of great sort of earthy qualities and a sort of... Uh, a sort of, uh, you know, an authenticity and believability to what she does. Mm. She's very brave as well and, you know, has that gift of not being too self-conscious about what she's doing. Yeah. So um, it was a different gig to the Olivia gig and I think by, going back to that, by the time I come to Journeyman, because because my instincts about Olivia worked out so well, it was like, I can cast who I want. <laughs> <laughs> I can get a performance out of anybody. And, you know, Jodie was had done a... Let's get it straight. You know, she'd already done a, 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 a solid body of work, yeah, of you course. know. But I think, you know, it gave me licence to just choose who I wanted. Because Jodie said to me one time, she goes, oh, oh, couldn't, couldn't you get a name for this? Which is ironic now, because <laughs> everybody knows who she is. But she goes, oh, I thought that they'd make you have a name. And I said, <laughs> oh, no, I can pick whoever I want. You know, that's yeah. the point. And that's the difference between the struggle I was having with the years of the Locust was that... I, I couldn't have who I wanted. Yeah. Um, I wanted somebody, there's a role in the ears of the locust of a boxing manager called Fat Rick, who was a real guy. It's yeah. a true story. And I said, you know, my Rick Parker, I said, do you ever watch Inside the Actors Studio? Yes. And the, the audience of kids are sat in, uh, are sitting there and they've got some actor on stage and your man's doing the, all the questions and, you know, and they're applauding. And I thought, and, and and these acting kids, they always put their questions up. They have a little questions they ask at the end. And I thought, the guy I'm going to get to play Rick Parker is sitting in that crowd. <laughs> and he, he's, because Rick was a very, he's a red-headed guy and he's very big. You know, he was like 300 pounds nearly and stuff. And I thought, that guy's sitting in that audience and he thinks he's never going to get a job. And he thinks he's never going to get chosen. And I thought, and, and I'm going to find him and I'm going to get him and bring him and draw him out. Yeah. But it's like I couldn't make the film with unknowns for that amount of money. Yeah, and no, so. you, you couldn't do it. You know, bloke who sits in the audience at inside the actor's studio. Yeah, you'll do in years <laughs> <laughs> of Lucas. It's interesting that you know you got such amazing performances out of uh, Eddie Marsan and uh, Peter Mullen and obviously Olivia and Tyrannosaur. At any point, I mean, Paul Popplewell pops up in both movies, mm. but there's no Paddy Considine travelling rep at the moment. You don't have that. No. Were you looking to do at any point? Were you looking to do that, thinking, oh, "Is there a role in this movie for for Peter? Is there a role for Olivia?" That that sort of thing. No, no, I'd never do that. Um, I, I I want to work with all of them again at some point. I would love that, um, but I, I kind of don't want to do that. I don't really want to shoehorn people into roles who aren't appropriate for yeah. it. Um, and and you always want to work with new people. I'm I'm about to write another film, and I already have a few actors in mind for certain parts that I want to to kind of give them, so um, or offer them. <laughs> um, but, but Paul is one of those guys. Like, I I would never approach Olivia for anything again unless it was something we were going to belt out the park, and and unless it was something that uh, she'd never delivered before. Yeah. Um, because the, I, I think there's other things that she she can do that we still haven't seen. Yeah. Um, and um, she still has all this great potential. Um, and Peter's somebody who I just adore having around. I, I don't I only do I love him as an actor, I love him as a man and as a filmmaker himself. 
um, and there's some people you're just instantly at ease with, and he's one of them. And Eddie Marzan is a dear, dear friend of mine. I don't see him a lot, but he's somebody who uh, I can talk to about my insecurities about acting, and um, Eddie's not afraid to talk about it as a craft. Yeah, um, which I find really great. Um, he's not ashamed to look at it in, in in that way, and makes me feel sort of more confident as an actor because of that. Because you're you're self-taught, I would guess. Really, well, in, yeah, in, in, yeah. In many ways, yeah. I just came in raw um, early on in in a room for Romeo Brass, so I had no schooling. I'd gone to like a drama course when I was a teenager, yeah. But it wasn't like Anna Share or anything down here. It was just <laughs> kids putting on a play after six weeks and. You weren't really taught anything. It was just fun, which it should be, I think, at that sort of age. And when I left school, I, I went on a like a drama course, but I only lasted a year. And I had no aspirations at all after that to be an actor. I, I, I not not a care in the world. So um, it was strange um, that it was through Shane because we'd met when I was seventeen and he was eighteen, and that's when we became friends. But it was through him um and our friendship that he asked me to do a room for romeo brass and i was like well what do you want me to do it for i'm not an actor i have a clue you know and the only reason i did it really well there's a couple of things there was one his faith in me allowed me to do it but also i I looked at the films he'd made at the time like where's the money ronnie and small time Mm. and uh, and he'd used a lot of non-actors and they were just friends of his at college who'd improvise with him and i thought well you know, if they can do it, so so can you, you know. Yeah. So I remember the night before we started shooting on on A Room for Romeo Brass, I watched Small Time again yeah. in my hotel room on video just to say, you can do this, you know, you're all right. These, these yeah, guys yeah, yeah. did it and they were okay, so you're going to be all right. But, um, yeah, so it's been a sort of a strange journey. But le- I think later on, when, as I got further into having a career, I realised that there were a few things missing from my game and... I, I realised that I was struck that some some things that a lot of actors made simple, I was making monumentally difficult, and um, there was a myriad of reasons for that. But I just started to think, if I'm going to do this, I, I need to sort of have a few survival tactics, and you know. So I I, I met a friend called Martin Ledwith, who's yeah. a, you know he's an acting coach. Yeah. I used to I used to sort of meet him and, and work with him and we'd just look at performances and talk about acting as a craft and he helped me just sort of find a bit of confidence with text because I felt that that was where my game was falling down. I was all right improvising in Romeo Brass and things like Dead Man's Shoes and stuff and Pavel Pavlikovsky's films, but when I was given text to stick to... I felt that there was this whole area of technique that I didn't know about. There was this whole sort of blank area that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm going, well, it's a pretty fundamental part of your job. (laughs) (laughs) It's learning to work with this. And I always felt, like, slightly alien and and odd about it. And and I only truly felt comfortable when I was left off the tear a little bit. But um, So I worked with Martin, and um, I remember people said to me at the time, what if you lose some of your... You know, nuance. What if you the, the rawness? You lose your rawness. Yeah. And I said, I'm not here to lose my rawness. I said, um, it took away nothing of the things that I feared it would strip away from me. Yeah. It, yeah. it did none of that. It's just those times where you feel like you're not quite believing something, or you're a bit adrift. You're struggling with a line, um, and um, you know, it's just finding little tools and ways to deal with it, really. And uh, and of course, you've uh, 
You, you star in Journeyman as well. Journeyman, Journey, Journey, Journeyman. <laughs> <Don't do that>. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to think about it now. Uh, you star in Journeyman as well, and you know, not to blow smoke up your arse, but you are fantastic in that film. And we, we did a Q and A last night. You talked about. Uh, you said that had this script arrived for you as an actor, if someone else had written it, this mm. exact script, that you would have taken it because it would have been a, a great gift yeah. for you yeah. for, as, a, as an actor. And I think that goes back to something you said about 10 minutes ago about when you were casting Olivia, when you saw Olivia walk through the door and she hadn't been given those opportunities. And at that point in your career, there were opportunities that you hadn't been given yeah. as well. So do you think that doing Journeyman, part of part of that, part of giving yourself the opportunities that, that haven't been afforded you for whatever reason, typecasting, whatever it is? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I, it's been some years since I've done a, a lead role of note and, um, and, and, and you do kind of sit back and watch other people. And I'm, I'm not envious, I don't get career envy, but mm. I, I'm like, hey, you know, where are my opportunities? I, there are certain people I'd love to get in the, in the room with. And um, I just wasn't getting those chances, really. So I was just playing supporting roles in in, in other people's films. Mm. And they were so happy to have me, and um, it was all great. And I'm, But there was something that just wasn't very satisfying about it. And I, and I felt a little bit like that. It's funny you should say that, because I felt that. I felt that sort of, I was feeling like, where's my platform? Where's, where's the version of me that's going to come along and see that potential and give me the opportunity to be front and centre because in this game you, you have to constantly sort of be reinventing yourself almost yeah um, and reminding people that you're out there doing interesting things um, because it's so very easy for not just you but for, for casting directors and other people to just fall into this kind of lull with you and so you have to just keep pushing yourself um, and that's why I took on the theatre job I did this year I know we're talking theatre um, we're talking movies here, not that, but that's why I took that on because there's a part of you that's going, I'm here, you know. Yeah. I had this conversation with Tom Hardy. Um, we were together a few years back and I, I was talking to him about Bronson and we were around his, his house and um, he was talking to me about Tyrannosaur and some of the performances I'd done and this. Um, and he was saying, but you bring this naturalism to the things that you do, you know, and he was striving for that. And I was com complimenting him on Bronson saying, but it's a very long time since I've seen a performance that had that level of theatricality and bravery in it, yet was yeah. still so very, very authentic. I thought it was an incredible yeah. piece of acting, yeah. you know, from Tom. And um, I remember he said to me, you know, looking at the success that Bronson became and the success he got after, he said, after he'd done Bronson, it was his sort of way of saying, hello, I, I'm <laughs> yeah. here, you know. Yeah. And, it, and if you don't sort of see me now, you never will. Yeah. And I think I felt a little bit like that with Journeyman, if I'm honest. Um, mm. I was fighting the urge to, to play the role, the lead role. And, and, and I just thought, because... I don't know if it's a very British thing, you know, of going, oh, I'm, I've written it, I'm directing it, now I'm acting in it, and now I'm going to write the music for it and all that <laughs> stuff. And it seems like, you know, I get, but there's still that little voice in you that's like, oh, go yeah. get back in your box, lad, you know? <laughs> yeah, you, you're reaching too far. And I just thought, no, fuck it, man. Yeah. Fuck it. You know, I'm sick of sort of being in the dark. I'm sick of being the wingman, you know? And, uh, and that was a massive factor for me in playing the role and I did sit there and think you know what man you could give this to another actor and it's a and it's a gift it's a gift of a role and nobody knows Matty like you know Matty because yeah. 
you've written this thing and you know yourself that this this guy has your heart. Yeah. And yeah. so I'm like, it, it, you have to play him. And yeah, if anybody came to you with this script, you would jump on it. So just catch yourself on, you know, wind your <laughs> neck in. You'd know that phrase. I know that phrase well. And it was like, just throw your hat in the yeah. ring and stop being so scared. Because I was just afraid of doing it, of uh, doing the role. Yeah. And I thought, this is it. You, you, and you're not getting any younger, you know. Um, yeah. If you if you leave it a couple of more years, you're not playing Matty Burton because it's not believable that you're, you know, in your yeah. early midish thirty yeah. years. You're his trainer. <laughs> I'll be the trainer. Yeah, you're the. But you're, yeah, yeah, it was a gift, and I knew his heart. I knew who he was. Yeah. And you could say that that was the heart of the film, the love story, their relationship is is the heart of it. But um, it, it's it's I I knew him. This idea that you were talking about opportunities and 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 gifts and roles. That, that could have been in the past years and years ago when Paul Greengrass was doing Watchmen yeah I visited the set in pre-production and they had on the wall they had like their dream casting yeah and your picture was on the wall for Rorschach now did did you have any conversations with Paul about that did that get down the line a little bit or was that just it, it didn't get very far down the line it was just Paul did tell me about it and he did tell me that that was the part they were thinking of me for and I think Matt Damon was was playing a part in it, mm. and it was this great sort of cast that he'd assembled. Um, but then Paul fell out of the project, and, and Zack Snyder came in, and it just didn't... There was a few things. You know, I met Zack, and I did a little reading for him, and it just wasn't there, you know. It, it, <laughs> it just, uh, you know, from Zack's point of view, too, you yeah. know. And, and to be perfectly honest, let's... You look at what Jackie Earl Haley did in the film. Yeah, he's good. He's amazing. He's yeah. Rorschach. Yeah, you know, so you you can't you can't mess with that when you see it. <laughs> and it when you see it and it's right and it's yeah. done so well. And 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 you know, I didn't mind the comic book, but I wasn't fanatical about yeah. the, the the comic book like some people were. So quite rightly, the part goes to somebody who really, really does appreciate it and uh, who absolutely smashed it. You know, yeah. I thought it was amazing in the film. Still, you know, I still think that that lost green grass version and wonder what might have been. What might have been, yeah. Might have but been. so, you know, it happens all the time over there. Might have been rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> it might have been terrible. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> and uh, what are you doing next, Paddy? What's up next? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off and write something else in the next few weeks. Can you say anything about it or is it very much under under the wraps at the moment? It's under wraps. Okay. It's But it's, it's a sort of a science fiction-y kind of tale, but very much like Journeyman, which... Uh, is a boxing film. It's it's not a boxing film, and yeah. uh, obviously I'm not going to write some generic science fiction film. But um, yeah, that's as much as I can say about it for now. But it should be exciting. Paddy Constantine did write Star Wars Episode Nine. You heard it oh, here first. God, could you? Imagine? I would not make it through. I, I'd I, I'd be I'd have a heart attack or a nervous breakdown. <laughs> uh, well, like you know, the directors don't tend to last too long on those, on those movies. The director so, of so. Journeyman and Tyrannosaur. I don't think so. Do you? <laughs> uh, you never know. You never know. Brilliant. Paddy, well, listen, don't leave it too long next time. Come back with your next thing. You've, you've, you've done some for Amazon, so... Yeah, that's right. Amazon, so come in for that. Okay, great. Yeah, we'll do. Come in yeah. for that. All right, brilliant. Paddy, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, man. Thanks, Chris. Cheers. All right, so that was Paddy Considine. We'll be talking about Journeyman very, very soon. But first off, let's talk about Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One. There is a spoiler special for this movie coming. It'll be out next week sometime. I don't know when. We're going to record it around about Thursday, I think, because I'm away next week. So 
not much we can do, sorry. Uh, but it'll be up hopefully Thursday or Friday of next week. So we'll give you a chance to see it and immerse yourself in its immersiveness. Ben. Uh, so this is based on Ernie Klein's novel. It's basically a sort of Willy Wonka story uh, about James Halliday, the creator of this uh, virtual reality universe called the Oasis. He dies uh, and he sets up this quest uh, so that only a worthy uh, kind of successor will gain control of the Oasis through through playing these various tasks and challenges. Uh, and this is a book that was massively indebted to um, 80s and 90s pop culture, video games and films, including the films of Steven Spielberg. And now Spielberg has taken on uh, the film adaptation. And I think Spielberg has done an amazing job with this. It's so much fun. I have seen it twice now, and I had an absolute blast both times. So I think the structure of it is really good in the... um, Basically, having these three big tasks or quests along the way, it gives you these kind of really, really fun set pieces that are nicely uh, kind of spread apart. And considering lots of it is spent in a virtual reality universe, uh, it doesn't look quite real, but it it feels kind of tangible. There's a real sense of weight to those set pieces. Uh, The first one is the the massive race that you see in the trailers uh, that is just overwhelming but you you follow that character through it the whole way so ty sheridan and olivia cook i think are really good in this they're really engaging um the the character of wade in the book is a bit of an insufferable know-it-all at points uh, people talk about how many references there are in the in the text of the of the book of him spouting oh this is this from this film and this from this game from 1972 created by whoever the film strips out a lot of that from the dialogue and just does it visually Mm. Uh, so there's loads of stuff you can pick out if you want to it's there if you want to find it but it doesn't lumber the the dialogue with having to to shift Mm. that weight i Um, I think there's still a bit of that but yeah there's still a bit of it but but there's um, something for everyone i think in the reference stuff which is nice like if you're not into video games you don't need to be there's lots of film references in there there's lots of 80s pop culture references in there uh, so there's 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 nerdery of all stripes, yeah. and we'll go into this more in the spoiler special. But I, I do think those three main set pieces are all genuinely huge amounts of fun and uh, really really well done. And I don't want to spoil what they are, especially after that mm. race one. You don't want to know what the other ones are. Um, but it really worked for me. I had such a good time. It's the most fun Spielberg has been in ages. It really is. Yeah, it's been a while, I think, since he's done a genuinely kind of take you back to your childhood sort of, you know, juvenile fun film. And I thought this this was full of joie de vivre for me. And not just in the references, in mm. the, the structure, in the yeah, tone the of energy it. That's, of it, that's the where characters. the Spielberginess comes through. It's, it's that, that sense of, of your childhood recaptured, uh, which is obviously part and parcel of the nostalgia, but also just the feel of the film. It makes you feel how you felt when you watched... Uh, you know the Amblin films of the eighties, and I think it does feel forward-looking and ambitious as well in the in the virtual reality stuff. Like I, I have not seen that done to that level, mm-hmm. to that amount of success. It's it's a huge technical challenge. I think it comes across amazingly on the screen. So I, I think I uh, people who are kind of wary of how backwards-looking nostalgia it is, it is that, but it's also forward-looking too. And I think the balance is what makes it really great. I mean, you say forward-looking, it just reminds me of 2004 when I spent the entire year playing World of Warcraft. But, you know. Or 2018. We did the same. Josh. So there we go. Four stars then for Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One. As you say... We will have a spoiler special in this. So if you see it this weekend or you see it through the week and you want to ask us questions for the spoiter special, we have an interview in a bag with Ernest Klein already, so that's fine. Send us questions. You can slide into my DMs uh, at Chris Hewitt in case you didn't already know. Or you can email us, podcast at 
Com. Four stars then for Ready Player One. And four stars also then for Paddy Considine's Journeyman, which I will talk about very, very briefly. This is well worth your time. It is centred around two astonishing performances from Paddy Considine and from Jodie Whittaker as his wife. It is a hard watch. It will take you to some very, very dark places. But it is absolutely not the straight down the middle boxing story or tale of redemption that you might quite expect from this genre. Uh, Paddy is not interested in just mining the old familiar territory. And there is a scene, as we alluded to in the interview, that will absolutely break your heart. Uh, It might not be perhaps quite as fully formed or perhaps quite as successful as Tyrannosaur, which I think is one of the great debuts for the last 10 years. But this is still definitely worth your time. And I hope it's not six years before he decides to direct again. Uh, It's very, very good indeed. Um, And Blockers is also a lot of fun. We gave that four stars as well. Uh, It is very very knowing comedy Uh, it doesn't seem to suffer from the improvisational overruns that have dogged a lot of American comedies over the last few years where you just get the feeling that people are just throwing out alt after alt after alt after alt Uh, the chemistry between both sets of leads so you have the teenage girls as well and how refreshing it is of course to have a, a film a comedy about young girls trying to lose their virginity and being very frank and very upfront and very relaxed about that notion as well and then of course the blockers themselves the cock blockers uh, and there are three different schools of comedy going on there Leslie Mann and John Cena and Ike Barinholtz none of them have graduated from the same school of comedy so to watch those those guys bounce off each other is uh, quite often a pleasure we gave it four stars and then that brings us very very quickly and sorry about that that rush of reviews uh, I love dogs. I love dogs as well, Ben. Do you lo- love dogs? I love dogs, and I very much like I love dogs. Uh, so this is Wes Anderson uh, back doing animation for the first time since Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, I think this is him on really good form. Um, it's it's impressively weird. Uh, it's, so it's set in a kind of alternate version of Japan in the future where... Um, Dogs have been outlawed to trash island by a government who loves cats instead of dogs. Uh, And a young boy goes to find his dog on trash island and rescue him. Um, It's basically the closest thing we've had yet to a Wes Anderson sci-fi film. I enjoyed... um, There's, like, robot dogs along the way and, like... um, just all these kind of weird contraptions and things. It it feels like like an alternate universe of sci-fi adventure. Um... I know it's the easy thing to say, but genuinely the animation is incredible in this. It's so much bigger in scale than Fantastic Mr. Fox was. My main disappointment, I guess, was I thought the ending was slightly underwhelming, especially how great, for me, the first two thirds were. Uh, And as has been going around the internet this week, there are some uh, issues of cultural sensitivity that I think will vary depending on on the perspective of of who's watching it. I have to say, it it didn't bother me that much. There was one scene that did trouble me a bit uh, by him saying that as middle-class white man. But mm. if you like Wes Anderson, if you like his shtick, if you like his casting, all the usual stuff, um, I think you'll find a lot to enjoy in I Love Dogs. Fantastic. Sorry we had to rush. Someone is due in here any second now, and we, we lost a run of ourselves a little bit. So sorry about the, the rushed reviews, but four stars? Four stars. Four stars then for Presumably I Love Dogs. three stars if you actually love cats. <laughs> uh, if you love cats, you just push it off the table. And that is it for this week's Empire Podcast brought to you by Rakuten TV. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by a whole cavalcade of people. I'm not entirely sure how we're going to fit all these people into one podcast. We may have to do a special at some point, but we should have Anya Taylor-Joy, star of Thoroughbreds. We should have John Krasinski, star, writer and director of A Quiet Place, and Ryan Johnson and Mark Hamill to talk about Star Wars The Last Jedi as well. I think one of those will become a special. I'm not entirely sure which, but do keep an eye out on our Twitter feed and our podcast feed, and then you'll have the answer very, very soon. Until that auspicious occasion, it's goodbye from Jimbo. Hodor. It's goodbye from Ben. Goodbye.
And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to the Clark Greggs across the street. Fancy biting into a bit of tasty Phil Coulson? No? That doesn't sound... This is a bad avenue to go down. Let's not go down this avenue anymore. That's it. Thanks for listening. Bye!